Welcome back to episode two of Athleticate. I'm flying solo here tonight. Uh, I like to preface, we have our first guest on, which I'm super excited about. Uh, so I'm going to preface uh, our guest. We have a former PE teacher, uh, middle school principal for many, many years, and a colleague of mine joining us. Super excited about this interview. So we're going to take it straight to Ron Ludwig. Hope you enjoy this one. Here, uh, We're lucky to have on former PE teacher, former middle school principal, and in his last year of teaching STEM, and someone who I'd like to call Captain Ron when he was at his time with the Beardsley. Welcome to our uh, podcast, Ron Ludwig. How are you? Oh, I'm living the dream. <laughs> so what, do, what are you up to right now? What are you doing? Well, I'm putting together some uh, videos with my wife to send to my students. I did one for our Aspire friends that I get to see once a week. And of course, I'm missing them. So I did a good morning video to them that will be shown sometime in the next couple of days. And uh, I'm reliving my past. I'm, I've got my alto saxophone out and I'm making a, uh, I'm recording a song to send to Miss Molly over at South because I imagine she's meeting with her kids daily and doing her band lessons, you know, via Zoom. Wow. That's awesome. Have you had a chance to get anything done around the house? Oh, a little bit here and there. <laughs> yeah. I remember you were cleaning out the, cleaning out the attic or something last time. Well, actually, we uh, timing was uh, just happened to be where we had a new roof installed last week, and now we're getting total our uh, aluminum. Oh, nice! Uh, went to the recycler the other day, and now we're getting. Um, what is it? Siding. Yeah, but what is it? Aluminum Not aluminum. Oh, vinyl. Vinyl, yeah. So we're getting vinyl and we're getting everything covered so I don't have to get up on a ladder anymore and paint. I'm oh, that's that. awesome. That's awesome. How is the e-learning going for you over at South? Well, you know, for I, I get to see a second grade teacher in action every day. And it just amazes me the communication that she has going back and forth with her kids. A lot of Zoom meetings, IEP meetings. My gosh seems like every day she's in a three-hour IEP meeting. I've been in a couple IEP meetings. Um, for the most part, the encores, our time has been minimized by the state where we only get between 10 and 15 minutes with our kids. So I tend to, I try to fin I'm trying to finish off my curriculum that I was into prior to spring break and sending them videos that they can watch and then discuss with their parents because we were told the encores, we don't want to uh, overload the kids because they're getting all this work from their classroom teacher. Sure. Do you think this e-learning can like sustain itself for a longer period of time? Or um, what, do you, well, what that, are your that, thoughts on that? That is a great question because, uh, boy, this is, you know, this is all new for everybody. And, um, you know, time will tell. I, I'm, I'm concerned about two things. One is that the kids won't even be further behind potentially when they come back in September, hopefully. And the other is when we get to June, they're going to be ready to go back to school and they're going to have three months of summer vacation because they probably have done just about everything except gone to Disney world uh, you know, <laughs> during this time they're out. So it used to be the kids started getting antsy probably about August. I remember 
the kids would start circling Hannah Beardsley on their bikes about August, you know, waiting to come back. But now that they've been out for all this time, I'm thinking they're going to look for June to start coming back to school. And of course, they yeah, won't so come back until August or September. If then, do you th- I, it possibly could move into the fall next year. I mean, we don't really know. No, we um, don't. <laughs> you know, how long? Do you have any summer plans? Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on retirement here. And uh, I got, you know, my motorcycle. I want to take some trips on my motorcycle. Um, we take a family trip every year to South Haven up in Michigan. And that's kind of on hold until... You know, they give the clearance for the beaches in Michigan. Um, I don't know. You know, it's a yeah. lot of unknowns, you know, coming up. Nobody can really plan for the next two or three, maybe four months. Sure. So you had mentioned that you're retiring this year. And I guess I have a, like a deeper question. Um, if you, when you look back on your 35 years, um, what are some trends that you maybe have seen? And like, whether it's teaching, whether it's like the students that maybe have changed some big, you know, changes in education that you've had to um, experience? Well, you know, it's funny you brought that up because as I've been digging through all my old books that I've, I've read, there was a uh, author, I don't know if you're familiar with Jamie Vollmer, and he wrote a book, Schools Cannot Do It Alone. And in the book, he starts in 1900, what the expectation was from 1900 to 1910, and then he works his way through the decades. And more and more expectations uh, have been placed upon the school. And in my 35 years in education, I have seen it grown exponentially with, um, you know, busy parents and uh, busy kids and more expectations on the school to, you know, cover the, the, the work that traditionally was done at home. So, um, yeah, there, there's a lot. And the numbers I have found uh, in the suburbs, in the northwest suburbs here, the numbers of children who need help, whether it's, you know, feeding them or uh, they need uh, work with their social skills or work with their academic skills or work with their emotional skills keeps growing. That percentage, I would say, was about 10 percent when I started uh, in education in the 80s in the northwest suburbs here and i'd say now it's maybe 20 percent, and that's that's a big increase you know so very fortunate because inner city schools they probably have 50 or 60 percent of their kids in need of something and uh as that number goes up the expectation is that the school will provide and do you think with this with this e-learning do um that this is putting you know giving parents a better idea of what you know their child may need to work on at home I would, or, or I, things that it, it, yeah I would think this is the most eye-opening experience or eye-opening opportunity possible for parents to see what their children do on a daily basis their expectations for academics the emotional challenges the social challenges well of course social's not being dealt with very well right now but uh yeah i would think that parents hopefully will come out of this with a greater appreciation i know there's a lot of people who do appreciate educators don't get me wrong but i think there's a growing number over the years i've been in education where um they tend to forget all that we do on a daily basis with their children and now they see it yeah absolutely 
And now to go back to your, uh, your principal days, um, it, do you have any advice for, let's say, any, any aspiring uh, ad administrators or even just teachers alone on how to sort of manage, uh, you know, the expectations and like work-life balance? You know, th that, is a, that is a great point. In fact, we're getting from our administration weekly about taking care of ourselves, And, uh, you know, prior to this e-learning, um, you know, you had some administrators looking out for the teachers, but, you know, I never felt that uh, people were looking out for the administrators. So as an administrator, you need to uh, definitely keep a balance. And if you lose that balance, that's when you start to get burned out. That's when you start to get discouraged. And the balance really has to be, you know, your spirit, your soul, uh, and your significant other. Your significant sure. other who is your rock at home and 24 hours a day, your children, your friends, and then finally your job. And unfortunately, years gone by, it's changed, I think. I see a little bit of a change, but I know when I began in administration, it was all about the job and the hours, and you're always going to be there everywhere. And uh, it's unrealistic to maintain that over a great length of time. So, yeah, I would say for any administrator, um, it, it's the balance in your life and it's it's truly being a good listener. Now, when you were a principal, did you think you had a particular style of leadership? Could you, you know, paint it to a certain style or did you did that change over time? Like how, how you were able to manage the school and the staff and students? Wow. Well, I enjoyed being with the students. Uh, more than anything else, that's why I be got, became a teacher. You become, hopefully, you go into education not to be an administrator or superintendent. You go into education to be a teacher and work with the kids. And uh, I found that to be a challenge uh, in my day to find that time because of all the other things that were um, taking in different directions. But now it's all about data. And... Uh, Mm -hmm. everything's data everything's got to be numbers every decision's driven by data and uh, i was never really a data person even though i'm sure the data showed that you know we did a pretty good job um i couldn't sit at my computer um i, I i'm yeah. seeing more and more administrators spending a good deal of their time at their computer i don't know if that's their desire or if that's expectations of the higher-ups but uh, i think it's sad um, especially if you yeah. enjoy being with the kids. So mm -hmm. you will be an administrator one day, Mr. Patrick, and you'll have to pick <laughs> the right place to be an administrator because I know you will not be able to sit behind a desk all day long. <laughs> I will not, but I always remember you in middle school, always being out there, you know, when the kids came in and like your, your presence was always there. You weren't someone who was just in an office. Like, you know, the kids knew who you were. And I felt like, maybe that's that's kind of losing its touch nowadays or maybe like you know i don't know if administrators are just more pulled into their office yeah i, I think it, um, i think it's two I, things i think one is the expectation is this data and and being on your computer as much as you can and i think it's the the people who are coming through the ranks to be administrators i'm finding more and more of them um would rather be in their office at their computer than out with the kids and in the classroom with the teachers and I don't know if that's the expectation of the future, so be it. But I could have never done that. I would have got out of uh, administration even sooner. 
Now, do you have any advice to teachers? I'm just thinking whether it's new teachers coming up because uh, 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 a guest that I've had is Matt Cozy and he's just entering, he's doing teaching right now and he's just entering the field. And so I'm curious, you know, as a retiring teacher, what advice would you give any, any sort of new teachers in modern day now using your experience? Well, you know, whether you're administrator or teacher, you keep the balance. Um, you can't work 24 hours a day and expect not to get burned out. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question. Cause you want, you want all of your, uh, teachers to build that, you know, great relationship with the kids. And sometimes it, it takes a little bit more effort, but that would definitely be the first thing that I'd look for. And I did look for with, um, teachers, uh, when I was administration to make sure that they could create that relationship with all. And I underline the word all because any teacher can have a relationship with the kids that want to have a relationship with them. But the ones that don't want to yeah. have a relationship with you that you can create a relationship with, that's a rock star teacher. A teacher that can address the needs of every single student in their class, even those students that drive you crazy every day. You still have to form that relationship because you're their family for nine months. And that brings up another good point. When you were hiring, um, you know, hiring teachers as a principal, was, was that the X factor? Or how, how were you able to understand and notice that from a prospective teacher? You know, that's another great question. Um, there were different time periods throughout my administration, the 21 years that I did that, where you'd have a, great number of applicants, good applicants. And then there are other times you didn't have hardly any applicants, but when you had the great number, you really tried hard to interview well, but you have to accept the fact as administrator that um, people can get through an interview process and get a job. I knew if I'm, I was right or wrong on the hire within the first two weeks of the school year, I knew it. And uh, if it was, wow. if it was a bad choice, then you know, you try to work with that teacher, but for the most part, you can't change big people. They are who they are. So you, you work them through the system, and if you got to let them go, you let them go. Uh, early on in my career, uh, I knew a lot of administrators who never let any teacher go. And I don't know if it was out of fear or laziness or what it was, but, you know, those are the folks that get through the system and get tenure and then you know, they're your challenge the rest of your career as long as you're in that building. But yeah, within the first two weeks, you can tell, uh, it, it, it just sense it, just the kids. It's all about the yeah. kids and the relationships yeah. that are being built. And you can tell real quick if it was a good hire or a not so good hire. So if you think of some of the best teachers that you've had a chance to either work with or, um, you know, um, lead, is there like a specific criteria or a set of, you know, characteristics they have that, you know, when you walked by, you thought this is an excellent teacher? Well, you know, you definitely professionalism. Um, you know, I'm old school. Uh, I started working when I was 10 years old on a paper route and there were expectations on getting that paper delivered on time and making collections of the money. And um, that's a big one with uh, your generation, I hate to yeah. say. Because many of your generation didn't get their first job until they were 18 or out of college, which is kind of scary because even though I went through and got a master's and all that stuff, I will say my 
my best um, it, my best learning experiences were through jobs. You know, I worked as the movie theater yeah. manager, so I knew managing. You know, I had to be there on time every mm-hmm. day to get that that building open, and I you know, and hiring people. But if if people are you know coming in late and leaving early and not uh, volunteering for you know, all these different committees that you have to do, you gotta, you gotta, you know, wonder why you gotta, you gotta question them. Um, so professionalism, yeah. but uh, the relational and then, um, you know, the key today is kids are all about technology, you know, whether it's the iPads or the iPhones or what we're doing today or zoom or whatever, and you got to connect with them at their level and you got to understand that that's how they learn and um you got to keep up with that and be on the forefront the cutting edge of things that they're um interested in things that they're um you know wanting to do uh during the week in your classroom um so those are three really important things i would say when you're looking at somebody you know going going the full distance in education um but you have to be realistic too. Um, there was a uh, professor that I went listened to from Indiana State University. Um, Smoker is his name. Can't remember his first name. And he said, in any organization, and I, I believe this to be true, in any organization, you have 10 to 15% that are your superstars. That's my wife. She's, she's one of those superstars. She goes above and beyond. And uh, her kids love her and they'll come back year after year. They will remember her forever for all the right reasons. And then he said, then you have about uh, 70% to 75%. Those are your backbone. And you got to accept the fact that those folks may not be superstars, but they're very important to your organization. And those are the ones that you put in the extra time to help them uh, move, you know, as high up as they can as a teacher and then you got to accept the fact that 10 or 15 percent um, in all organizations are your bottom feeders. And those are the ones that you can yeah. work your tail off to try and change. You're not going to change them. So you got to get them out of the system. And, uh, you know, I tried. I, I, I let I let a, a good number of people go throughout my years as administrator. And, um, you know, I think they were all the right decisions. But, uh, uh, yeah, you have to you have to hold the line there. Sure. Now I'm going to switch gears a little bit to athletics. Um, could you kind of give me an idea of when you, like when you started coaching um, back when you were a PE teacher? And I know um, I'm, the reason I'm asking is because I remember when you used to call the football games at Prairie Ridge and uh, one specific game in general, I don't know if you remember this or not, but it's when Prairie Ridge kicked a field goal against Kerry yeah, Grove at the end Bay. of the game. And, <laughs> 43 yards. Yep, and then we, we all <laughs> – we stormed the field and you played don't stop believing the whole way while everyone cleared the field out of there. I'll never forget that. Um, well, you know, when I was able to call the Prairie Ridge game, you got to understand that that was like my family because so many of those players we had at Beardsley. So I knew those kids when yeah. they're in the sixth, seventh and eighth grade and to be able to watch them, you know, grow up into high school age students and beyond is, is great. You know, that's the advantage you have being in a unit district that you can keep contact. And that's one of the downfalls, I think, of 155 and 47 and all the other feeders is that 
the kids leave us in the eighth grade unless you work to get out to see these kids. You know, I used to tell people I only heard about my former students either through athletics in the newspaper or the police beat. And, uh, you know, that, yeah. that was about it. I ran into their parents somewhere and they told me how they were doing. So when I called those games, it was, it was a love not only of, you know, being able to call the game and loving football, it was, those were my kids. Those were my students. So, but, uh, and I, yeah. I started working for the park district at when I was 13 and I was coaching T-ball and I was officiating basketball games and that was just part of my makeup. And I, I just, I love being around sports. Now I struggle, you know, with what sports have become as far as, you know, the AAU and all these things that I believe go way above, you know, taking away too much from a family, you know, expectations, as you know, become much greater when people are putting in time and money, whether it's the kid or especially the yep. parent. And, um, you know, if there's not a balance there, we, you know, we hear about some of these kids that get scholarships and move on, but what about the hundreds, if not thousands of kids that put in the time and energy and didn't get the scholarship? Um, you know, where are they today? So it seems like a total, a total shift between, you know, just introducing kids to sports and giving them that social aspect versus, you know, having parents pay for the sport and having it, you know, very Absolutely. specialized and very high level. But you're alienating all of those, you know, kids that would benefit from that. Well, social that's why aspect. one of one of my greatest accomplishments, I guess, when we opened Hannah Beardsley, we were told to create this this um, um, sporting opportunity for kids who weren't going to be on the conference team. And I got my taste of reality when I started in District 47, and I was I was doing PE. And I saw every single seventh grader, right, for class. And then I became the seventh grade girls yeah. basketball coach. So I talked to all these girls that knew me as a PE teacher to come try out for the team. I had 85 girls try out, and I cut down to 12. Well, the day after I made the cuts, I had lunch duty, and the girls that I didn't keep kind of gave me the cold shoulder. And those 12 girls then played. They then went on to the eighth grade, same 12 girls got on the team, same 12 girls played, and then they went to Central, yeah. and guess what? None of them played basketball. They are all volleyball players. So not only did I not help Central's uh -huh. basketball program, but uh, what about all these other girls who maybe were late bloomers, or boys especially, because you and I both know, boys mature later. You know, they could be uh, five foot nothing as a freshman and end up being uh, – you know, six foot something, kind of like Scottie Pippen. You know, last night I was watching Scottie Pippen on the Jordan yeah. thing. I had no idea what his journey was. And he went to that small school and he was the ball boy his freshman year. I had no idea. He was the ball boy. <laughs> so you can't give up on kids. And, and unfortunately, through sports, we give up on them even earlier now. Because if you're not on the sky high volleyball team by the time you're eight years old you're going to be overlooked for the most part so it'd be interesting yeah. to see the stats of how many kids that play at a high level drop out versus how many 
that start later that choose to take that on to like college. I don't college know if you did City League, but City League is what we created. It gave every kid an opportunity, every girl, if she wanted to do basketball or volleyball, every boy, if he wanted to do basketball. And City League, I loved. That was my favorite thing. That's why I officiated all the boys and girls basketball games and volleyball games because I loved being there watching, you know, kids that um, never thought about doing basketball or volleyball play. And I'll never forget about my younger daughter. As a seventh grader, she could not get a serve in because she was tiny. And she couldn't get an underhand serve in. Yeah. But then in eighth grade, lo and behold, she got an underhand serve in, and she was so excited and so happy. And she will always remember volleyball at that level in a positive way. And probably because you made it a stress, you know, a less stress oh, yeah, there was environment. No st- so kids feel like, you know, no they were more comfortable and in trying. Coaches who were, you know, totally excited and had fun. Everybody had fun with that. That, that was definitely the uh, crowning yeah. moment, I think, at uh, middle school. So do you have any uh, any retirement plans moving forward after you, wanna, you finish you this hear uh, my list? remaining year? <laughs> I, I don't know yeah, if I'm going to get list. away from education totally. Um, I, I've got – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to okay. check at some universities and, and possibly do some, some teaching at universities if that uh, affords me an opportunity. Um, and I, I've been saying no to subbing, but I've been telling my, my uh, Encore friends – at South, at least, that I would sub for them in a heartbeat just to see the kids that I've seen. Because the one big difference is in middle yeah. school, it was a three-year love affair. In elementary, it's a six-year love affair. And uh, this year's outgoing True. fifth graders, I started when I back, went back into the classroom in kindergarten. And that's the one thing I, I'm sad about. And they were great. You know, they're great kids. So I'm going to, I miss not ending it with them, but you're with them a long time when you're with them in elementary as an encore teacher, as you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the last question I have for you is, is what are some things that you've most proud of in your career as, you know, in education? I know it's kind of a general question, but it could be, you know, you know worded any way I'm, you want to perceive it. Because I live and work in the same community. So I see a lot of the kids as adults and I love running into a former student recognizing them they they recognize me without a doubt because i still have all my hair but uh and i sometimes (laughs) remember their name and i just ask them i go where are you at in life and when they say they're working and they maybe they got married maybe they have a family i always say good for you and i guess that that's my proudest thing is to see these kids move on to become productive adults and happy because to me, and now that I'm a 155 yeah. board member, of course, I give them my two cents all the time. But I don't like this, this um, what is our graduation rate? What does that prove? That proves absolutely nothing. What I'd like to do is be able to contact graduates when they're 25 years old and say, are you happy? Are you working? And if they're happy and they're working and they're moving forward in their life, we did our job. Not if they graduated high school. That That's nothing. Right. 
Well, this has been awesome. I thank you for taking the time to, uh, you know, talk to me about this. And it's kind of, you know, a reason why I started this to have some good conversations with some, uh, you know, friends of mine and teachers. And uh, I'm looking forward to your retirement well, party, you by the way. Do you know when that's going to invited to my private retirement party with the Encore people as soon as the boat is in the water, probably late May, early June. And then I told my wife the week before she goes back to school, hopefully the Corona will be passed by then. And then I'm going to get a half barrel of Heineken and I'm going to invite all the people that I enjoyed being with at work and socially and the Cordezes and you know how that goes. So you, you will be invited to both of them, Patrick, yeah. because I believe in you. And if you don't have your type 75 yet, you need to get it. Uh, baby number two's coming. You're going to get busier, but you got to get that type 75 to open up all kinds of opportunities you are going to be an awesome administrator, whether it's an athletic director or a dean of students or whatever you choose to do, but you, you have to do that. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And uh, thank you for coming on again. Uh, this has been awesome talking. <laughs> I'm, I'll make sure I send you the link um, f- towards it. You know, I put some, a little bit of uh, music in there for you, um, but I'll, uh, I'll right, send you the link and I'll send it to your son as well. Oh, yeah. you are lucky. It's a boy. Good for you. <laughs> One for of each you. now, well, so we're super once excited. Once gets in the water, we'll pick some dates. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I told the Encore team today that uh, that's really the only thing I want to do um, between now and whenever uh, retirement is, is get together with you guys. So. Awesome. Well, right, well buddy, I am care. in for it. I look forward okay. to that.